Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. I can just tell you um, that um, our electric guitar player and our sound guys are particularly excited that this is the last Sunday we're using that bumper video. Um, (laughs) And our drummer, apparently, as well. Um, uh, Every time uh, Mike was like, I get sideways glances, like, don't you know how to put away a guitar, man? Like, um, and the sound guys, anyways. We're uh, wrapping up our series, um, Living Out Loud, Songs or Melodies That Matter. Um, Over the past few weeks, we've covered several genres in the Psalms. There are actually a lot more than what we covered. Um, But what we've covered so far, uh, week one was Psalms of Praise or Songs of Praise. Pastor Paul Sliwa brought it that Sunday, even though Pastor Jonathan Garland gave me credit for it. Um, Clearly, he does not know the difference between Paul and I. Um, But Paul brought it week number two. Uh, Jonas Mackey did not talk about the Psalms. Um, but he brought a great word because I apparently had sneezed and thrown out my back. Um, and he stepped in and talked about the prodigal sons. Week three, Jonathan Garland was here. But I'm going to give credit to Paul since he didn't give credit to Paul for the one he did preach. So uh, Jonathan Garland was here on songs of wisdom or psalms of wisdom. Week four, um, I spoke last week dealing with a super upbeat topic, songs of Lament. None of you knew the song I referenced last week, which I'm fine with. I'm not going to bring it up again. I'm already ashamed that I knew it. Um, uh, But you can go and listen to last week's message, not so that you can identify what song I talked about, but because I think we don't lament well in our culture. I think we talk about grief a lot. I think we experience sadness, but there is a biblical invitation to lament. And lament is intended to bring you from a place of despair to a place of trust. I would say like this, um, while sadness and grief are very real emotions, lament is a divine invitation, an invitation from God to respond to grief, to sadness, to hurt, to loss. And it's actually really critical that you and I discover how to do that. Otherwise, we can get stuck in a place of grieving endlessly. And God wants to bring you through that over and over again. And so that's last week. This week, though, man, we're dealing with songs of thanksgiving. Woo! Because it's that time of year. It's the time of year when um, once in the year we're going to express gratitude for everything that we're thankful for. We have a holiday built around it. I like, But songs of Thanksgiving, maybe you're thinking, like I sort of thought when we first began to dig into this, aren't praise and thanksgiving basically the same thing? And while they overlap often in the scriptures, in the Psalms in particular, they're actually distinctly different things. And understanding the distinction is really important. And here are the subtle differences between praise and thanksgiving. Praise is for who God is. 
It's his character, it's his nature, it's a declaration about his nature. Thanksgiving is for what God has done. In other words, it's an expression of gratitude to him. One is an expression to God, the other is a declaration about God. For example, let's just pretend um, you gave me a lavish gift. I won't throw out any ideas because I don't want you to feel guilty, but let's just suppose you gave me a lavish gift. And what I would do in response, or at least what I should do in response, is say thank you to you, right? You're the one I should express my gratitude towards, my thanks towards. In fact, I was thinking about this today. I was like, I hope that there isn't someone here today who gave me a gift and I never said thank you. In fact, if you did, thank you. (laughs) Now just let's move on. (laughs) Because sometimes it's not intentional, right? Sometimes we just forget to express our gratitude. Uh, but it's actually an expression. This is just, so you gave me a gift. I'm going to just go to you, and I'm going to personally say thank you. But then I'm going to get on Facebook, and I'm going to praise you to the high heavens to everyone else. Like, you can't believe how great of a person this person. I want everybody to know what you're like. That's the difference between praise and thanksgiving. And I would say this. Um, I, it can be appropriate to be um, privately thankful towards God, to thank God privately, but I should at least be willing to praise him publicly. And we live in a culture that tells you all of your religious ideas and practices should be privatized. It's nobody else's business. And this whole idea of living out loud in the Psalms is actually about living who we are right in the middle of the world that we find ourselves in not being shamed into a corner, not being quieted into a corner, but actually being willing to declare what we actually feel, what we've actually experienced, whether it's grief, whether it's praise, whether it's thanksgiving, to God. And often I think we're told to sort of talk about religious things in hushed tones and in quiet corners. Think about when you go out to coffee with somebody and you're sitting in a coffee shop full of people, and men in particular can be like this. Um, Man, you're not going to believe the moose I shot this year. I'm not being real quiet about it, right? This happens in locker rooms, like that thing was massive, biggest moose ever to grace the planet, right? Um, 95 inches, you know they're lying, right? Like, right. But anyways, but I'm gonna talk, and then I wanna talk about spiritual things with you, and I go from this normal volume to, man, I was at church last week, and like, God's just doing some of the craziest, coolest stuff in my life. I don't want anybody else to know about it. Why is it that I wouldn't talk with the same level of exuberance, the same level of enthusiasm, the same volume out loud about things God's doing in my life as I would about all of the other things that are acceptable to talk about? What does it look like to live out loud? Which brings me to my title today, Thanksgiveness. I do know that it's not a word, at least not yet, but it's about to be forever in your minds There are really two elements to genuine gratitude and the expressing of it. There is thankfulness and thanksgiving. One is actually a feeling and the other is an expression or an action. And it's possible to actually feel thankful and never express thankfulness. 
It's actually possible to feel it and not give thanks. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, we have a tendency to sort of slip into this place where I feel it, but I haven't said it out loud. And a few weeks ago, we were in our staff prayer time, um, and Pastor Paul Sliwal was praying, and you just, you need to know, it. everybody in that group has some level of ADHD. Uh, it's, it's insane. Uh, but we're praying, and Pastor Paul Sliwal, just sort of out of the blue as he's praying, he says these words, and God, um, we just want to bring to you thanksgiveness. And it's one of those words that you're like, is that right? No, it's not. Is it wrong? I, like, I Googled it just to find out if it's actually a word. Um, it's only a word in the context of individuals who wrote it on the internet who English is not a first language. Apparently, it's not really a word. It's a mashup of words. It takes two words, right? Thankfulness and thanksgiving and mashes them together into thanksgiveness. But, and everybody in the group, Paul just like carries on like he didn't do anything. Um, and I was just waiting till we were done so that I could go and find out if this is really a word or not. It isn't, but it is now in our staff environment because it's actually really critical that we both feel gratitude, thankfulness, and we express our gratitude. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiveness. There you have it. You're welcome. We can close with a word of prayer now and move on about our day. There's an important relationship, though, between the two because it's possible to feel thankful and yet neglect to actually give thanks. And this actually happens in Luke chapter 17. Jesus has been traveling and preaching and teaching. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Um, and on his way to Jerusalem, he comes to a border town. And as he approaches the border town, he's met by a group of men who truly, truly do not have much to be thankful for. In fact, um, they're a group of lepers and if you've ever been to a leper colony or you've seen a leper colony, I've been to several leper colonies over the years. Those are people who are considered outcasts in society. Even to this day, they live in their own communities because of the fear that everyone else has of them. I've been in worship services in leper communities where they have no fingers, missing limbs, and yet their children are perfectly healthy and fine running around. And you can just observe the sort of life these individuals have lived up until this point. Well, that was absolutely true in Jesus' day. Because if you were a leper, you were not only considered unclean, but you were considered cursed by God or by the gods. And so you were required by law, if you had leprosy, a skin disease, you were required by law to shout out any time someone came within proximity of you, unclean, unclean. Like, I just need to be out loud about who I am, which is unworthy, unclean, unacceptable, unapproachable. There's a group of these men as Jesus comes into this community. I want to look at it in Luke 17, verse 11, as we're going to start. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They're not crying out, unclean. They're keeping their distance. They're obeying the law, but they're crying out because they know something about Jesus. Jesus is quite a ways into his ministry at this point. They've heard about the towns and communities that Jesus has gone to, and in those communities, every single person that Jesus prayed for was healed. He's coming. Let's take the risk. 
Let's get out here together as a group, all 10 of them. Jesus, would you have mercy on us? Would you heal us is their request. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. It's interesting. He doesn't say he looked at them and said, you're healed. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. If I'm one of the lepers, I'm thinking right now, done that. That's how I got in the position that I'm in right now. The priests have already looked at me. They've told me I'm unclean. They put me in the leper community. I'm not supposed to be around people. I don't need to go to the priest to know the situation that I'm in. Yet, in faith, they obey Jesus. This is important. Before they're healed. I love this. The second half of verse 14. Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went... They were cleansed. Like, that'll preach. In fact, I shouldn't stand up because, like, that idea, as they went, they were healed. It's in the going, it's in the act of obedience that they actually experience the miracle that Jesus wants to perform for them already. I find ourselves so often wanting to be in the presence of Jesus, wanting to experience the power of Jesus, wanting to be near Jesus. And so we go to event after event after event after event, and yet refuse to join him in obedience to the mission that he sent us on already. And it's actually in the going, in the act of obedience, that you experience the supernatural work of the Lord in your life. I'm going to sit down. You don't want to hear about all that. Okay. It's not like in the act of going to church. It's actually in the act of obeying the Lord. Like, go make disciples. Declare the praises of God. Like, okay, we're going to get, like, way over time if I get hung up here. I'm going to stay seated, Jonathan. Just be calm, man. It's going to be all right. They want to hear it. You know they want to hear it. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, how many were there? One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God! He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. Oh, and by the way, this man wasn't even a Jew. He was a Samaritan. He was an outcast of the outcast. He was a half-breed in their minds. He was not even worthy to be in the category of a Jew. He was the one people would avoid even if he wasn't a leper, if you were from the Jewish community. By the way, he's a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? They've all been healed. Didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Like, didn't I perform a miracle for 10 men, but only one stopped and came to say thank you? What I'm fairly certain of is that the others probably felt grateful. Who wouldn't, as you discovered that you had been healed of leprosy? But only one actually returns to express it to Jesus. Didn't I heal 10? Only one is returned, and it's this foreigner. And Jesus said to the man, listen to this, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you? I thought he was already healed. 
right? It wasn't as he saw that he was healed, like all of them were healed. Jesus says, I healed them. It's actually a different word that's used for healed in the other context there. It's actually um, the word for cleansed or purified or made whole. But here the word sozo is used, which is often in the scriptures used in reference to salvation. And this man comes back having already been touched by Jesus, having already been healed by Jesus, but in the act of expressing thankfulness to God, he experiences something else, something deeper, something greater than what he had already experienced. And it is in the act of saying thank you to God that something more happens in your life. It isn't sufficient to simply feel thankful. It's important to give thanks, thanksgiveness. Which brings me to survey says, every now and then I like to do a little bit of research to see if science has caught up with the Bible just yet. And I really mean that. It's interesting in this area of gratitude. There's been a lot of research in recent years um, in dealing with the effects of gratitude in our lives. I see it on social media all the time. You take the gratitude challenge for 30 days, express something you're thankful for every single day. And, but the reality is that somewhere around in the recent years, um, 70 plus studies have been done involving around 26,000 plus people, right? Uh, surveys, studies to provide empirical evidence of the effects of thankfulness on depression, on quality of life, on levels of happiness. In one study in particular, um, the Positive Psychology Interventions Study, which is a stunning read, just so you know. Um, a lot of getting interpretation of what words meant uh, for me. Uh, but but um, it was a one-week exercise, 471 participants in the exercise. They were broken up into five groups, and they were each assigned um, an intervention. In other words, um, a practice that was intended to bring about positive impacts in their life. And then there was um, a preview, a pretest to see where they were at in levels of depression, levels of happiness and satisfaction. And then there was a test at one week, and then there was a test at two weeks, a test at one month, a test at three months, and a test at six months. How have you, I mean, you're already asleep. Okay, good. Now, I'm going to give you the categories that they were broken up into because I think it's really important. The first group um, was referred to as the three good things. Every day for one week, they had to write down three good things in their life. Every day, one week, three good things. The second group, their assignment was um, you had to write a, a paper on you at your best. What is the best version of you that you can imagine? And every day they added to that, you at your best. It was a daily exercise. Group three is interesting. They were given um, a gratitude visit. In other words, they needed to identify someone in their life they were thankful for, who was alive, write out their letter of thankfulness to that person, make an appointment, show up, and read it to them in person. They only had to do it once, but they had to do it within that week. It wasn't a daily exercise. They could have finished it in two days. They could have finished it in three days, but it was the exercise for group three. Group four was given a strengths test, and then someone described their primary strengths to them every day over the course of the week. Group five was the strengths test, but they were told to practice or exercise one of their strengths every day for one week. And the last group was the control group. Apparently, they thought this wasn't going to have much of an impact, and they said, we want you to write out your childhood memories. 
We don't care if they're good or if they're bad. We just want you to write them out. This is the control group for the test. Now, here's what's interesting. All of them are daily exercises, except for the group that has to write out a letter of thankfulness and go and actually read it to the individual. All of them in week one actually showed increased levels of happiness and satisfaction, but it was temporary because only one group at the one-month mark showed distinctly higher scores in the area of happiness and satisfaction, and that is the group that wrote a letter of thankfulness and then went and read it to the person they were thanking. In fact, it was off the charts in comparison to all the other categories. It did it once, and it actually produced a lasting effect. And here's what's interesting to me, because science is just catching up with Scripture. And I get it. Maybe you can't think of a person who you could express gratitude toward, or maybe they're not around anymore, but it's actually why the Scriptures are so important in their description of thankfulness, because they describe God as the person, that you could express gratitude at any time. And in the Psalms, we're given this insight into who is always worthy of thanksgiving, um, how we're to express it, and what the reason is, which brings me to prescriptions and descriptions. Much of poetic literature um, and much of narrative in the scriptures is what we refer to as descriptive. And often you and I read a story in the Bible and we're like, well, I guess that's the prescription for how I should live my life. But that's not always the case. And in particular, in poetic literature, often it's put in a language or in a tone that is just describing how David or um, Solomon or others are expressing their heart to God. But it's not necessarily prescriptive. In fact, recently um, I was at the doctor's office. I was picking up my medication. They give you the whole spiel about all the things you can't do on this medication. Like you're not supposed to breathe. You're not supposed to walk. You're not supposed to eat. You're not supposed to like... But in particular, you're not supposed to use heavy machinery, which I never do, but I'd love to be able to do if I wanted to at any moment. And so I just said, um, so can you just tell me, like, how long do I have to wait after taking this medication before I can drive my car or run a D8 cat? Like, uh, how long do I have to wait between those things? And he says, oh, I don't know. That just depends on how your body responds. I thought this was a prescription. Like, you should be able to tell me, you're depending on me to decide when I'm fit to run a dozer? Like, I don't think that's a great idea. Like, but he's like, it's actually up to you. You're the one who will have to assess how this prescription applies to you. In the Psalms, it is actually both. There are things that are prescribed and there are things that are described. And here's why I say this. Because we live in a world that is saying, worship God however you want. Whatever way you would like to worship him is appropriate. Not only that, worship God as whoever you want. What do you think he's like? I read a quote years ago, God created man in his image, and ever since, man has returned to the favor. We've created God in our image, but the truth is, if God is who he claims to be, he actually gets to describe who he is and prescribe how he is to be worshiped. We don't like that. Now, I want to decide. There are all kinds of areas in which you and I can bring our unique expressions, but there are also boundaries. And the Psalms actually give us some insight to this. Psalm 100 is a psalm of thanksgiving. 
I want to take a look at it together. Good news, it's only five verses. Psalm 100, a psalm of thanksgiving. Shout with joy to the Lord. Can I hear your joyful shout? One, two, three. I like the distinction it makes, shout with joy, because sometimes people, not me, but other people, shout without joy. You know, like, like, I don't know, maybe if your kids didn't do exactly what you wanted, or the car didn't function the way it was supposed to, or somebody just didn't turn on their blinker in traffic. Like, like we do a lot of shouting, but this is shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever. His faithfulness continues to each Generation. I want to just take a moment. I want to break this out into the who, the how, and the why. I'm going to start with the who, and it's actually right in the middle of Psalm 100, verses 3 and 4, gives a description of who God is. It says, acknowledge, recognize, admit, acknowledge that the Lord is God. Which is an interesting thing to say, except that in ancient cultures, you would have many gods. And what he's really identifying, both currently and prophetically, is that Jesus is God, which is an important distinction. Earlier, we sang the song about the names of Jehovah. We're not singing about an Old Testament God when we do that. In fact, the ten lepers just experienced Jesus as Jehovah Rapha, my healer. And then the one that returned to give thanksgiving experienced him as Jehovah Shalom, peace with God. It's interesting, a friend of mine, David, um, and I, uh, when we were in Bible school together, David was, uh, Derek, was a wild man. He was like, he loved to witness about Jesus. And he had just had a radical conversion experience. And one time we were going into, back then it was called Eagle and Homer at Safeway. Now we were going into the grocery store and there were some Jehovah's Witnesses standing outside. And as we approached the door, they said, hi, we're Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was like, I just want to buy groceries, man. But not Derek. Derek's response was, what? You're Jehovah's Witnesses? I am too. And for the next hour, he proceeds to tell them about Jehovah, Jesus, which is a different Jehovah than they believe in. They're actually making a distinction between God and Jesus. But according to the scriptures, Jesus is God. The Lord is God. The God, not a God. Mm, that'll preach. Thanks, Pastor. You're welcome. I'm, it was worth coming. Just, I know, I know. Okay, here we go. He made us. He's creator, right? He made us. We are his. We're his children. We are his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. He's a shepherd. Enter his gates. He has gates. He must have a kingdom. He must be a king with thanksgiving. Go into his courts. His courts, he's also the judge. Go into his courts with praise. How many of you head to court with praise? Like, you don't even do that when you're on jury duty. It doesn't matter what the reason is that you're going to court. You're like, mm, don't like it. But you and I get to enter his courts with praise. 
Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. It is not a free-for-all. He defines who he is, and then he describes how he is to be worshipped. Who are we thanking? The God of all the universe. The Lord, he's God, he's our creator, our father, our shepherd, the king, and the judge. So how should we thank him? Verses 1 and 2, shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. We're to shout to him. We're to declare his goodness. We're to worship in gladness. We're to go to him, not run from him. We are to come into his presence and acknowledge who he has said that he is. And the last piece, why does he deserve our thanks? Verse 5 describes it. It starts with four. These are all the things I'm inviting you to do. I'm, I'm asking of you. And, and here's the reason. For this reason, this is what it means. For the Lord, he is good. I know, I get it. Maybe it doesn't feel like he's good right now in your current situation. I'm just telling you, he is good. That's who he is. He cannot help but be anything other. His unfailing love continues at least for a couple of days. No, it's not like human love that always fails at some point, but his unfailing love, it endures forever. In fact, the same God that was there yesterday, the same God that was there in David's day is the same God who's here today, and he's the same God who will be here tomorrow. And his faithfulness continues, and I love this, to each generation, which means he's eternal. He was present with David's generation. He was present with David. He's also present with you and with me right here, right now. And he will be present with our children and our children's children's generations. He's not going anywhere. He's sticking around. He can't be pushed to the margins or out of the equation. He is the sovereign God of all the universe, and he is eternal, and he is good, and his love never fails. He is faithful, and he is present and current in our day. Notice that there is nothing that David describes that is about David's health, David's wealth, David's prosperity. Most of the things that when we think about gratitude and gratefulness, we think about, well, I need to think of some things I'm grateful for. My car's running. What if it's not? Can you still be grateful? Okay, well, at least I have my health. What if you don't? Can you still be grateful? David actually describes deliberately, and he is grateful for all of those other things. But David is deliberately describing here eternal things that supersede temporal circumstances, which means that the ability to not only feel thankful, but to express thankfulness exists at any season in life. This highlights our need to actually discover reasons that extend beyond the seasons of life that we find ourselves in. Which brings me to boogity-boo and bedtime stories. I shared a few weeks ago, or at least I think I did, a few weeks ago about um, my girls recently um, have randomly, at the end of their prayers, um, ended with boogity-boogity-boo. 
And every night we do these prayers of thankfulness, and, and they tend to become um, sort of the same thing over and over, not just for them, for me as well. They tend to become the same thing over and over again. And the reason that Boogity Boogity Boo stood out to me, one is, um, I was trying to figure out where it came from, two, it was totally different than all the other times that we prayed. And so I've been trying to figure out, I know my wife has been watching Talladega Nights with them, and so, uh, I'm just kidding, it's so not true, I don't even think she's seen it. Um, uh, but I couldn't, I found out, I found out this week, thanks again, dude, perfect. That's where it came from. It was uh, one of their skits they had done, and they ended a prayer with Boogity Boogity Boo, and so my girls, but it stood out to me because it was something different than sort of the rhythm or the habit that we get into that actually tends to lose its meaning over time. And so I I took note of it. And and here's how I would describe our tendency is to become um, thoughtless in our thanksgiving. And thoughtlessness can actually lead to thanklessness. In fact, it's worth admitting to ourselves that when my expressions of gratitude, whether it's giving, whether it's worship, whether it's prayer, my expressions of gratitude become thoughtless, I must acknowledge that they also become thankless. Because thanksgiving actually comes from thankfulness. It actually matters to God that we feel it. Because what I feel and what I actually believe matter as much as what I actually say and actually do. Which brings me to putting the giving back in thanksgiving. I want to give you briefly three ways that I believe we can express thankfulness to God. They're not the only three ways that we can express thankfulness to God, but I think they are three significant ways and three biblical ways that we can express thankfulness to God. The first one is sacrificial obedience. The second one is sacrificial giving. And the third one is sacrificial forgiving. I don't know if you picked up on a theme in all of those yet, sacrificial, just in case. Usually it's third service that's slow in that draw, but okay. Sacrificial obedience. This one I think is really important. Um, And and in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, um, there is um, an encounter with um, the Amalekites. And Saul is given instruction by the Lord about how he is supposed to engage in this battle. God has already promised victory to Saul. Samuel, the prophet, brings him all the information. He tells him exactly what he's supposed to do. And when he defeats the Amalekites, he is to destroy everything. These are the people who resisted the nation of Israel as they were coming out of captivity. These are, God is now bringing judgment on the people. And so Saul is given very clear instruction. Saul heads out to battle. And of course, Saul doesn't do what the Lord instructed. And so the Lord comes to Samuel. He says, Samuel, Saul did not do. I wish I had never made him king. I want you to go and I want you to bring my word to him. And so Samuel is going to go looking for Saul. Saul's had victory. And now Saul is sort of going around on his own victory parade. Samuel's looking for him. The text is hilarious. You should actually go and read the whole story, but not in the ha-ha way. Uh, Okay, Samuel is looking for, and he says, where is Saul at? And here's what the people tell him. Oh, Saul, Saul has gone up to um, uh, uh, Carmel, and he is um, erecting a statue for himself. He's setting up a monument to himself for the victory that he just won. Uh, And now he's in Gilgal. So 1 Samuel 15, verse 9, Saul And his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. 
1 Samuel 15, 12, when Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. Then what is all of the bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle, I hear Samuel demanded? Is that moment, right, when your kids are like, I did all the dishes, and mom's like, then what's in the sink? Right? I cleaned my bedroom. Really? Because I can't even see your bedroom. Like, this is, Samuel's like, I can hear the sheep and the cattle and the goats. Clearly, you did not obey the command of the Lord. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. This is so classic. Like, Saul's a two-year-old. Then my troops, my sister, my brother, then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle and plundered to sacrifice. Yeah, that's what it was for, to sacrifice to the Lord, not my God, the Lord your God, Samuel. And Gilgal. But Samuel replied, listen to this carefully. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. It's a principle here that God actually isn't primarily interested in your sacrifice. He's interested in your obedience. That's why in the New Testament context, whenever Jesus is teaching, he says, if you come to the altar to offer your gift there and you remember there's something between you and your brother, first go and reconcile with them, then come and offer your gift because obedience is better than sacrifice. Sacrificial obedience is one of the primary ways that we display gratitude to God. The second one is this, sacrificial giving. Fast forward to King David after King Saul. And in 1 Chronicles 21, David is on his way to make a sacrifice, but he needs a place to do it, and he needs some animals to sacrifice. And so he comes to the property of a man named Ahornah, and it's um, there that David sees everything that he needs. And the man is just so elated that David, the king, the adored king, the king of Israel, is at his place that he says, I'll give all of you the stuff for free. I'm just so glad that you're here. It's his way of honoring King David. Listen to what it says, 1 Chronicles 21, 23. Take it, my lord the king, and use it as you wish, Aharonah said to David. I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings and the threshing boards for wood to build a fire on the altar and the wheat for the grain offering. I will give it all to you. And this is the moment, like, if I were David, I'd be thinking, man, the Lord's really blessing me. This isn't going to cost me anything. I can make the sacrifices to the Lord. I can express gratitude to the Lord. I can do it right now. It's all going to be, God must be blessing me. But that's not how David thinks. Listen to what he says. But King David replied to him, No, I insist on buying it for full price. I will not take what is yours and give it to the Lord. I will not present burnt offerings that have cost me nothing. There's a principle here when it comes to giving thanks to the Lord, and it's this. A sacrifice is only worth what it costs you to give it. A sacrifice is only worth what it costs you to give it. It's why it's referred to as a sacrifice of praise, a sacrifice of thanksgiving, that it actually is required that it cost something of us to be sacrificial. 
It's true of your time, it's true of your money, it's true of your talents, but there's actually a requirement of sacrificial giving and an expression of thanks to the Lord. The third one is this, sacrificial forgiving. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter has some questions for Jesus. We've looked at this before together, and this is classic Peter. I envision in this moment Peter actually has someone in mind when he comes to Jesus and he asks the question. But here's the question that he asks of Jesus. Peter came and asked, Lord, I was just curious. He's given a sideways glance over to Jonas. Uh, Should I forgive someone who sins against me seven times? Because that seems like a lot. Plus, we're also past seven, so I can quit forgiving them. Should I forgive someone seven times? And Jesus says, no. 70 times. In other words, there isn't a limit to it. How many times would you like to be forgiven is the question. How many times should I forgive someone? And then Jesus proceeds to tell a parable. And the parable is about a king who has servants, and some of his servants owe him money. And so he's settling accounts. And he brings in a servant who owes him millions of dollars. He's never going to be able to pay the debt that he owes. And then the king forgives the debt when the man begs for mercy, and he sends him on his way. His debt has been canceled. Now, here's what you need to know about debts being canceled. Someone had to pay it. Right? The king had already paid it. He's waiting for it to be paid back, but it actually still costs someone something because there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Someone actually had to pay the price. So the king lets the man off the hook. He releases him from the debt. He's willing to incur it himself. And then the man goes out and finds one of his fellow servants who just owes him a little bit of money. He's like, pay me what you owe me right now. I can't pay you. You have mercy on me. And he says, not a chance to prison with you. And the king hears about it. And he's like, are you kidding me? Like, did you learn nothing from your experience with me, from the grace and the mercy and the kindness, the forgiveness that I showed? You, you clearly did not understand what happened there because you went out and exacted a payment from your fellow servant. And so he brings him back and he throws him into prison until every single debt is paid. And then Jesus ends it with this, verse 35. That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I wish he had just said, say, I forgive you. (laughs) So much easier. Only have to do it once. I said it. But it actually involves... Here's here's the reason, and this is really important, because often um, we hold people captive in our own minds to a debt we believe they owe us. And forgiveness, I would define it in this way, forgiveness is the ability to let go of an offense and the willingness to cancel a debt, which means I'm willing to take it myself. I'm willing to pay it. And so often, for so many of us, we hold other people hostage in hopes that they will pay some debt, that they'll come back and ask for forgiveness, that they'll make restitution, that they'll make things right, that they'll confess what they did, and we're unwilling to let go of that offense and actually incur the debt ourselves, which, by the way, is exactly what Jesus did for you and for me. It was sacrificial. It's free to me and you and costly for him. While grace may be free for us to experience, that does not mean that it was inexpensive to purchase. And you and I actually display genuine gratitude for what we've received by our willingness 
to extend it. The ability to let go of an offense and the willingness to cancel a debt. Which brings me to AGI and neuroplasticity. Worship team can come. I got off track last night. My medication was wearing off and somehow ended up doing a search on AI. Several different types of AI that are described out there. If you're over 40 in the room, you're terrified of it still. You're like, no, it's going to take over the world. It's going to happen next year. It's already happening right now. I believe that our president currently is probably an AI robot. Um, It's not a great one, but it's still, anyways. I'm supposed to say those things in third service because they're not recorded. Um, but, but I was doing a little bit of research, and what I discovered is that um, the distinction between weak AI, which is what we have right now, strong AI and super AI, or, um, or artificial general intelligence, is that they believe they can get to a place where um, um, artificial intelligence, computing, can function at the pace, the speed, and with the efficiency, which they're a long ways away from still, um, of the human brain. But, but here's the thing, there's actually a part of the brain that it will never be able to catch up with. I don't know if you know this, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. In fact, it's this area of neuroplasticity. The brain's ability, which they often believed in early years, um, actually stopped by the time you got into your um, early 20s, when your frontal lobe was fully developed. That used to be around 21, now it's around 45. Um, it's mostly because of video games. No, it, it, but, but when your brain fully develops, they, but it actually they've discovered it goes on all the way into adulthood for all of your life. Your, your brain possesses the capacity when it's damaged or injured to rewire itself to find new pathways, but it also happens in relationship to emotions and feelings, and it's why so much research is out about gratitude right now. Because by expressing gratitude, genuine expressions of thankfulness, by expressing gratitude, the brain begins to rewire itself, in particular, away from one thing, depression. And here's what's crazy to me, because psychology and the sciences are actually just late to the party. They're simply rediscovering what God already declared is true about you and I. That unlike a computer, unlike non-human things, God has wired you with the ability to change the very makeup of the way that you think and respond. And the primary way that you and I experience those changes is in this area of neuroplasticity. In fact, they did a research project um, where they took a group of 13 people who were all severely clinically depressed, tested them, all 13 severely clinically depressed over a 15-week period. They just had them do research in areas they wanted to grow and develop. So it was things like um, friendships and values and health and love and goals um, and community, those types of things. And then they would get together once a week and discuss what they were learning. At the end of the 15 weeks, none of the 13 individuals tested as clinically depressed. No medication, just rewiring the brain. I need to stand with me because this is the way that God has described you and I and the ways that we think. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep 
putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. You want peace? Think on things. Express gratitude. The Psalms are a beautiful place to do that. But there's also opportunities all around you every single day. So Jesus, we just say thank you for your kindness, for your mercy, for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for all of the things that you will always be and you always have been. We admit that we get hung up here. We get hung up now. We believe that these brief moments on earth are all that we have, and yet you created us for so much more. So we just say thank you. We thank you for the invitation to lament. We thank you for the invitation to express our hearts to you. But we thank you for the power of gratitude in our lives and that you are worthy of it. To be with us in this week, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Our prayer ministry teams are going to be here on both sides. Um, church, we love you. Don't forget, Echo is coming up in a hurry. And uh, we need candy from you. All right, that's it. You're dismissed. Grace and peace to you, church. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.